<laughs> so I don't know if the recording is playing, but dude, a lady on my laptop just spoke to us. Yeah. Uh, we were back on the laptop again today. <laughs> um, we seem to progress and regress. It's two steps forward, one step back, but uh, swings around about. Oh, yeah. Swings around about. Is, now, uh, we just want to clarify something before we go forward. We're no longer accepting Bitcoin. We are open to exchanging NFTs. If the right opportunity comes along, hold on, I'll just close the curtains here. <laughs> oh, yes. It's all go. Very unprofessional so far. Today. It's all go. Actually, right? yeah, you you mentioned a few weeks ago you wanted to discuss it's all go. It's all go. No, it wasn't. It was uh, where does the time go? Uh, where does the time go? Where, this is the question, right? So <laughs> this kind of confused me, right? So where does the time go? So obviously we live in the present moment. Yeah. And me and you have different experiences of the past. You have your own memories of, say, childhood, adolescence, all this stuff. Yeah, so yeah, do I. Yeah. I have my own memories of that as well. Where is that time, the collective time? Where is it? So we both, I don't remember your childhood. You don't remember mine. Yeah. But yet we both remember the peace day we had in school or the 96 All-Ireland final. Or for yeah. some reason, we seem to remember World War Two. Because we've read about it. Okay. Where okay. where is that information? Ah. Oh, okay. Where is that? Do you know? It's yeah, not in me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's held as a collective. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because that it's easy to just say, oh no, it's in the past and yeah. it's just gone. But it's is it gone? Yeah. It's not like do you? Is it? It's very easy to turn around now and say in the twenty fifth anniversary mm-hmm. to say the ninety six team, but ninety six doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. I think you'll find that it does oh, to it a lot matters. of people. <laughs> it matters. Yeah, matters us. Yeah, matter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and the same goal. Yeah, that's very interesting because when you think of the family, like a family that we inherit traits from our ancestors and everything, you know, mm-hmm. I I would like to derive the same logic from that argument there yeah and that that's very interesting Max. It, there's a, it seems to be a collective memory at work somewhere collective memory mm. yeah and yet we only use it at like family functions when people are growing up and we say oh where does the time go yeah and that's where does it go where does the time go <laughs> but then you, yeah where does it go where is it where is the 96 all-ireland final at the minute oh where is it I don't know. We're going to have a time. We're going to have a whale of a time figuring that one out. Bill Gates has it. Oh. Bill Gates has the 96 All-Ireland Final. I stand with Melinda. <laughs> Where's Melinda standing? Uh, she broke up with Bill because Bill was on Epstein's Island. <laughs> oh, if Bill Gates ever hears this podcast, we're in trouble. <laughs> I just saw a good article. There's a thing in the New Yorker has this article as if, hey, Bill and Melinda, um, not about the money, but I think we should really spend out again. It's not about the money, but I think we should really spend time together. And it go, it's like a whole essay of, and apparently Tim Ferriss, he included it in his um, weekly email. And he says he gets these laws all the time where people that want to reach out, not for the money, mm. but you know, it's for the money. Yeah. So, <laughs> just uh, very interested on the Bill and Melinda thing. Here, we, yeah. we might take a parish of the week, Mark, and mm. we're going to give it to Ballycanew. Oh! Yeah, well, yeah Ballycanew. Okay. Well Ballycanew. done. And uh, <laughs> so the Devereux family, Mark, mm. uh, Dad, Des, and son Charlie came up with an ingenious idea to get a cow to serve as an, or, an orphan foal's mother. Mm. Rusty, the cow, is very fond of Thomas the foal, Thomas the foal, and they, they have a mother-child relationship and somehow even though it's a cow and a foal they're working together a foal uh, like a horse yeah and does, does the horse suck on the cow yeah <gasps> <laughs> 
you're, you're reserved. <laughs> no, no, no. I want to be politically correct here. <laughs> I don't want to offend any bovines here. Uh, that's not allowed. Oh, you can't. Sure, people don't even suck each other's mothers. <laughs> I suppose we drink cow milk, don't we? We do, man. Yeah, yeah. I drink goat's milk. Yeah. You drink goat's milk. Yeah. Um, I drink coconut's milk. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I drink oat's milk sometimes. Oat's yeah, milk, yeah. yeah. Um, I was heard. I think it was Jack Whitehall once talking about the old or the sorry, the variations of milk, and he goes, apparently, there's eleven different milk alternatives on the market, and surely we only need one alternative. Oh yeah, for milk we don't need eleven <laughs> alternatives. <laughs> this should be the thing and the alternative. That's very true. Very yeah. true. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, but this, oh, yeah. can I just like um, is it? No, this is going to end up in the tangent. We're not going to get an answer. But is oh. it nutritionally beneficial for a horse to suck on a cow? Oh, no, I know my language here probably isn't the best. But well, um, oh, that's very interesting. We, what we if the cow is to look into that? I think Chagas is yeah. a great name. Chagask. It's not spelled right though. It doesn't look like it's like Chagask. Chagask. <laughs> that's why I read it on the bands. Here, uh, that's something we'll have to get our paper Tuesdays guys to look into. Um, maybe actually, Flem the Frog could look into that. Uh, Mark, um, Flem has been with us maybe two episodes. Two now, two episodes. And yeah, we're now going to reveal his identity. So we yeah. we met uh, Flem Flem's creator. Oshin O'Brien while in secondary school. Yeah. Oshin um, has shown that he is really, really talented at working with um, his puppet, be it mm. Flem. Mm. And um, we'd like to commend Oshin and Flem. And uh, for, we're going to give one farewell now to Flem, just one last uh, show of this is Flem the Frog. Who is Ireland's biggest hatra? That would have to be Daniel O'Donnell, the Granny's Justin Bieber. I can't stand Daniel O'Donnell, but the grannies love him. I'm with Daniel O'Donnell, from beautiful Lunigal, and the mammy is making me a nice cup of tea. Oh yes, Daniel O'Donnell, Lunigal, Lunigal, Lunigal. Why would you turn him off? Ah, he's doing me heading. Ah, ah, help me, me ears. Daniel O'Donnell. And there we go. Thanks, Flem, for that. That was good. Uh, was, he's, yeah. he's, he's very good with his puppets. Very good. Um, and with his features and everything, and very creative. Very, so maybe sometime in the future we'll have Flem back on, but we're just going to see. We, we're, we're just... We're, we're, very, we're weighing up our options at the minute, and we'll see what else comes along before we commit to uh, a paid role here on Paper Tuesdays. Absolutely. Yeah. We Absolutely. are budgeting at the minute. We are budgeting. Um, well, we announced it here as well, actually, that we are looking for oh, yes. an intern for Paper Tuesdays, of a, possibly a journalist student, journalism student, but someone that's sort of interested in news and media and, I suppose, obscure articles and things of a strange nature happening in Ireland, rural or urban. And uh, if you'd like to come on board as a researcher for Paper Tuesdays, Please reach out, reach out to get us. in touch. Letters to the editor at papertuesdays.com or Instagram DM. That's normally the best place to get us. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark, you found you stumbled across this article uh, from a court report back in the 1930s oh, of yeah. one Julia Clark. And this is where um, she 
was she was sentenced to a month in prison, but she had fled back to Glasgow um, where it had said, oh, yeah, they, they gave the sentence to keep her out of the country forever. Um, now, obviously, there's a whole lot of things we can discuss here, but I think a few factors are interested. One, the boy is a named. So she's yeah. kissing someone and she wasn't kissing herself. Mm. You know, yeah, and that just shows how you know society has changed to become more equal for men and women. I think in that you know um, the days of the man being unnamed in everything, really, from mother and baby's homes to to this is I, I hope is moving um, a bit. You know, mm. women um, women got a bad deal in general in Ireland, didn't they, over the years? Like, yeah, but it I, seems to be that way in uh, a lot of cultures <laughs> and. They all sort of started that way, didn't they? Like women, women were seen as the the temptation or whatever. I suppose. Yeah. The distraction. Yeah. Titties. See, are it's a cultural <laughs> distraction. It's a cultural response, isn't it? That like you know, if like it's it's a very difficult one, but it's the idea that oh well, if your child isn't raised in marriage, well then what 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 happens? Like uh, who supports and yeah like i'm not i'm not i'm just trying to tease out the issues there because mm. what you what you say is that it, it reflects a cultural um environment really doesn't it it is it's it is it's all a culture sure isn't it like there's no inherent there's no inherent reason to me as a sort of an individual or whatever hello oh, declan declan <laughs> hello. how are you like, very way. good <laughs> how how are things they're great. Thanks a million for uh, joining us. Uh, this is just such a pleasure, Declan. Um, by way of introduction, Mark, this is uh, Declan Coyle. Declan yep. is the author of The Green Platform, uh, your book there, uh, Declan. Um, he's, I don't know where to begin, you know, a, a priest for 30 years, a, a life coach now, and uh, just a tour de force of a human being, as someone that really <laughs> understands the human being from your humble beginnings in Cavan, and then to working in the slums in the Philippines, to working with some of the top organizations in the world. Declan, now you're with Paper Tuesdays. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Michael, now I finally made it to the summit. Declan, instead of I'd say you're fed up with um, questions like uh, oh tell us in a nutshell what this green platform is all about I'd like to tell us or ask you to tell us about when you started working with the Kentucky Wildcats and you go into that dressing room and um, when you first met the players and you shared the synthesis of the green platform when you asked someone how things were yeah I remember in particular doing one-to-ones, you know, with them after I did the general session. But then I came in and, um, you know, there was one famous, he's, um, I'll, I'll tell you his name later, he's a multi-million dollar player now uh, on in the league. He's uh, one of the, but he came in and he was, you know, one of the Afro-American brothers. He was about seven foot seven. He went in and he came in and he sat down and he took up half the room. And uh, I said, well, I said, how are things? And he said, uh, oh, things are, are, are bad, not good. He says, uh, we were beaten in the Rupp Arena last Saturday. So uh, things are, 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 are pretty bad, he says, you know. And um, I said, okay, no, what we're going to do is we're going to swap. 
when I got I got to know him, built up the rapport on that. And I said, now let's switch. Now I'm your man's name, <laughs> and you're who you are, you're me. So and he said, no, so you have to ask me the same question. How are things? So I I said, you know, he came in, he said, how are things? I said, oh, uh, not, uh, not good or bad. We were, we were beaten at the Rupp Arena last Saturday and things are really bad, you know? And I said, okay, now, that was the wrong response. That was a red platform response. I'm going to switch that to the green platform and see what's worse. So you asked me again, how are things? And he said, well, how are things, you know? And I said, um, how are things? You want to know how are things? I'll tell you how things are. We were beaten at the Rupp Arena last Saturday, but we are never beaten because we either win or we learn. So here's the three lessons we learned. We learned A, B, and C. So you want to know how things are? You want to know how things are? I let you in on a secret. I'll tell you how things are. We're going to war, man. We're going to go to war. We're going to relish the battle. We're going to play with abandonment. We're going to play with freedom. We're going to cut loose. And we're going to inspire everyone else around us. And the strength of the pack is the wolf. And the strength of the wolf is the pack. And we're going down to old Mississippi next Wednesday night. And I want you to come into the dressing room afterwards. And afterwards, you're going to, I'm going to high five you and say, man, that was fun because the original reason we played basketball was because it was fun. There's nothing else more fun in the world. And you want to know how things are? We're going the whole way to win the national title this year. First time since 1998. And on top of that, he said, during the game, 10 minutes from the end, we're going to give you a thing. We're going to gather around and tap on the floor and give you a sign that we have each other's back. We're playing as a team and we're going the whole way to win the national title. Now, X, I said, um, which, would, um, which, which would you prefer? How are things? Oh, bad. We were beaten in the Rope Arena last Saturday or the second one. And he said, oh, man, the second one. <laughs> and then he, after they won the title, he was interviewed on ESPN. And he asked him, like, what's the difference? You're at the bottom and suddenly you flipped and never looked back from there. You're up. Well, he said, coach got us all to read a book called The Green Platform. And then he asked, uh, he got the author in to speak to us and to work with us. And what did he do? What did he do, said the interviewer? Well, he's changed us from being negative into positive. He said, was that it? Yep, that was pretty much it. He says he toned our inner software into winner software. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was the beginnings. But I remember the first session I did with them, you know, Coach Calipari, he'd be Italian, you know, mm. and uh, he knows the brothers kind of rap talk, you know, and all of that. And he can communicate with them very well. And when I finished, he said, <clears throat> well, he says, you heard the man. Fear and doubt. Cast him out. <laughs> and he says, when you cast them out, fear and doubt, what did the man say was left? Only confidence and self-belief. And he said, when you drain out that fear and doubt, that's all you have left. And that's what's going to take us to the national title. Wow. So 
that was that was unreal. Yeah, that was amazing. But there were great lads, like you know, the one to ones with them, and awfully that southern state in Kentucky, that southern respect and all that. Like there was one big guy, Julius, and he went on and made huge money afterwards. But Julius was coming in, and um, like Julius was huge, he was but six foot eight, you know, and massively built like that, you know. And he opened the door and kind of ducked me in. And he just said to me, you know, excuse me, sir, could I have just two or three minutes to say goodbye to my mama? And I felt like saying, hold on, Julius, you're too big to have a mama. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but there was the gentleness about them, you know, and I kept thinking, sure, they're only 19 and 20. They're just out of college. You had to bring them together. They're in, in university. And, you know, there were the big stars of their college. And then they come into these teams and they're nobody. They're just one of the rest. So it's getting that and putting them together. Coach Cal, he made a movie about it one year and he, what he called it was one and done. You have one year, one chance. And um, I'd say with Coach Cal, the single sentence that I would take him from was that where he would have moved the dial with me was he was doing a big presentation to about 3,000 people at the All Tech One conference. And I was down in a room helping him prepare with him. He had all these notes. And I said, look, coach, put away those notes. That's, that's it because he said, those notes are a distraction. But he said, what if the PowerPoint failed? Never mind the PowerPoint failure. He said, I said, you do, when you go out, you connect with the audience. You talk to the audience. The notes are going to get in your way. If you start reading, you're going to lose them. And I said, look, you're Italian. You have energy. Look at you on the side of the court. Look at all the energy you have. So what you go out to do and you go out to, and you tell us a few stories that we will remember about what, what made the change. And so I said, give me one sentence, a telegram, or maybe now you call it a tweet, or whatever, but one short sentence that's going to sum up what your talk is about. And he looked up at the ceiling and he said, how can I be the best version of myself today so that those around me on the team can flourish and shine and be the best that they can be? So the dial move for me was, I was talking about people being the best that they could be, but he took it to another paradigm. It's not about being the best that you can be for yourself. It's how I can be the best that I can be for the team. And that's where the whole difference comes in. It's uh, you have purpose and you have meaning and you have that connection, and um, it's it's uh, it's it's magic, you know. Yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> Sorry, Dick. You're you're talking yes, about man. the power really of sport and uh, like bringing out the best of people on the sports field, and like you worked with Philly McMahon, and like I think you've a good relationship there with Philly, and you know that that's where he had the power of choice and the choice in a moment and the white space that presents itself, and I found yeah. that very interesting because when we're in sport, there are like flashpoints in a game where the referee is in and he's trying to, you know, figure out, well, is it going to be a yellow card or a red card? They're, they're the moments where, you know, that like they're the moments that make consist of um, Liam Dunn's autobiography that we'll speak about later. You know, they're the, they're the flashpoints and the pivotal moments that could go either way. Um, what is it about sport that you think that, that means that so much of this can be translated to everyday life? Well, I see Michael and Mark, I would see 
sport as life condensed. And that's why I would always use sport as a laboratory for the tools, because it's the, you know, the, the basis of the green platform is that, you know, something happens, you have an event, it is as it is. And I cannot un-is it because we create and manufacture most of our suffering through our resistance and non-acceptance of life as it is. Now, so, but acceptance on its own, now, but so if it's, if it's tragedy, I cry the tears. If it's loneliness, I turn on the tap. I'm emotionally honest. You don't pour pink positive paint over human suffering. There's no healing without a real feeling. But I haven't felt it in that, then I have this white space. And I was lucky enough in Ottawa to have my visiting professor during my postgraduate studies was Viktor Frankl, the great Austrian psychiatrist who was tortured in office during the Second World War. And he said that between stimulus and response, there's a space, and I've enlarged the white space. And in that, he says, lies the last and the greatest of the human freedoms, which is our power to choose a response in any given set of circumstances. So what he was saying really was that we're not a bunch of, you know, just predictable reflexes being triggered into predictable outcomes by people and events and situations. We do have a choice. That is the power to choose. That is the last and the greatest of the human freedoms. And I developed that onto, okay, one day at lights, I got the idea. Like I can land on a, it depends on which platform I land on then with my choice. I can land on a red platform, which is the victim, the whinge, the whine, the moan, the poor me. And underneath that platform is a septic tank of sabotage because I am the victim and I become the victim in that way. And I, I give away all my power. Or else I can go and choose the green platform with the 10 most powerful words in the English language, no word more than two letters. If it is to be, it is up to me. And that's about being proactive, about making choices that bring joy to others, about being the best version of myself again so that those around me can flourish and shine, be the best they can be. But it's that choice. And Philly was telling me he was driving to Cavan a few years ago for a league match. And he was reading the green platform. He has read it a number of times and he's given away a huge amount of cut. But he was originally going to call his book The Power to Choose because he saw his brother John, unfortunately, choosing drugs, you know, on the pen. John made him promise that he wouldn't make that choice. And so Philly chose football and making a difference in the community. And I remember talking to Muhammad Ali one time and uh, I was asking about this, I am the greatest thing. And he said, um, no, he said, um, my, I got that actually, I got that from my grandmother. He said, she kept saying, if you keep saying you're the greatest, maybe someday you'll believe it and then other, others will believe it because I was being thrown out of restaurants and drapery stores at the time. But he said an interesting thing. <clears throat> he said to me, boxing was only ever a vehicle to do what I'm doing now, <clears throat> which is, helping people and communities around the world. At that stage, you know, three million dinners in the developing world. The same with Philly. Football and his load of All-Ireland medals are only, you know, a, a door opener to do what he's doing, helping people in the community and in the jails and all that. He's an incredible guy. But Philly loved the idea of the power to choose and having that visual of a green platform that you can choose it. And um, he would, um, and, and it's about that freedom and that expansion and, um, you know, but that's, so it's, it's all about, I remember what Jackie Connor one time, 
and were talking about, you know, football with Kerry and all that. And Jack made a famous statement, you know, he said, uh, because you could see the character of the guys changing, you know. And he says, oh, be Jay says, this is no more about football than Moby Dick is about a whale. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's about building character and, you know, that people can actually choose to be happy. They can choose to have a good life. Like a, where I grew up in Dungiman, it was in County Cavan. It was the outside determined the inside. Outside events determined the inside. If something good happened outside, you were happy inside. If something bad happened, you were unhappy. Nobody ever taught us, number one, the power to choose. Never taught us how toxic limiting beliefs are. And nobody ever taught us that happiness, you work from the inside out. Your, personal, your personality, how you think, how you act and how you feel creates your personal reality. That's what I believe now totally. But growing up in doing it, it was the, or, or the personal reality that created a personal reality. The outside determined the inside. And so that thing to make you can make a choice at the beginning of the day. <clears throat> Today I'm going to be happy, unconditionally happy, no matter what. That is, like if you look at, there's a pandemic outside. But what can I focus on? What can I control? What I control are three things. What I choose to focus on the story or the interpretation to make up about that uh, or the meaning and what I choose to do, my, my actions. So the single most important choice I'm going to make, especially during the last few years, is that I'm going to be okay inside. That I'm going to choose to be in a happy, joyful state inside. Now, there's a pandemic outside. There may be COVID, there may be cancer, there may be death, there may be grief, there may be all kinds of problems, but that doesn't have to get in here unless I invite it in. In here is mine and mine alone. And it's that, that, and then when I am in that good state, then I go out and help people. Then I reach out and, but if I'm stressed or uptight or negative or miserable inside, I'm no good to anyone. I'm like somebody who could write in an accident who's afraid of blood. Oh my God, I don't want to go there. So the number one choice is to live in a beautiful state inside. Now, Victor Frankl taught me that because he said, in Auschwitz, I made a choice every morning. First thing in the morning, I'm going to be happy today. Now he says, Auschwitz was horrific. They killed 39 members of my family. And he says, sometimes your lunch would be a dishwater and a fish's head floating in it. But he says, I chose it, but I chose to be happy. That they couldn't take away from me. He said, they tortured me, they broke my body, they did operations with my genitals, he said. But they couldn't touch my spirit. And he says, every moment of every minute of every hour in Auschwitz, I was happy. And he says, in the suffering, the meaning I saw in that was that I could see myself in the stages of the world telling people this should never happen again. And I also wanted to see my beautiful young wife, Tilly. And he said, afterwards, but they killed her and 39 members of his family. But still, he made that choice to be unconditionally happy every day. Now, we have a pandemic. That hasn't been taken away from us. You know, we can make that choice and then we're good forever because suffering, if you're in misery and suffering, if you don't transform it, you're going to transmit it. And you're going to transmit it to those who don't deserve it most, your own family. So it's that way of getting, and when you look at, it's okay, so an event happens. Now, the big thing is, and this is about the upregulation or downregulation of our genes. It's not the genes that we're given, it's the interpretation of the events that make all the difference. So something happens, and I make up a story, 
an event has no meaning, a situation has no meaning, a fact has no meaning, unless I make up a story about it. So my question to people is, why when something happens, do you use your power of storytelling and meaning making and interpretation to make up a story that makes you feel bad on the red platform, when you make up a story that makes you feel good on the green platform? So something happens and you say, oh my God, this is a disaster. Or you can say, no, it's a great opportunity. So it's that, and if you look in the middle of a game, I was working with one of the hurling teams some years ago, and uh, they went on to win in All-Ireland and all of that, but they got very bad beating early in the year, 15 points, three goals. And so I was doing a bit of work with the players, so kind of their self-talk, you know, their self-image, and then working on their stories and their storytelling, because your energy follows your story. So I said to this man, one of the backs said, okay, first goal went in, what was your story? Tell me your story. And um, I don't exercise with them when you say, well, kinesiology, put out your hand, arm there, parallel to the ground. You think negative thoughts and your arm will go down, you'll weaken your body. You think positive thoughts and it'll stay strong. So I said, what story did you tell yourself? The first goal would came, he said, my story is fine. Second goal, story is fine. Third goal, I, I do, I, do I have to say it in front of the lads? No, no, this is about honesty. I must know what was in your mind because your energy follows your story. Well, he said, now, this is a rough translation of what he said. He said, now we're totally finished, except finished wasn't the verb he used. Mm -hmm. And uh, before that, he introduced it with the, he used the name of the Carpenter Poet of Galilee. So I said, okay, <laughs> go back, go back to that moment. Now, that was a toxic negative story in the red platform. Agreed? Okay. And that drains your energy. Okay. Now. What would have been a positive story you could have told? What would have been, um, you know, something that would have, um, you know, that, that would have changed your energy? I said, sure, you're always telling us that players like dynamite, all the powers on the inside. What I should have said is that that goal has ignited my dynamite. I'm going to explode in this game. I'm going to go to war. I'm going to relish the battle. I'm going to play with freedom. I'm going to play with abandon. I'm going to cut loose and I'm going to inspire everyone around me. But your effigy says, I didn't say that. No, but you can from now on, because that's the moment in the game that you make the choice that changes everything. That's the moment when somebody lands on the red platform and lashes out at the red referee or hits somebody. That's still a choice. Now, you see, he went on and he won in All-Ireland and an All-Star that year. And... Um, he sent me a text the night he got the All-Star and he said, I think I really got my All-Star the day I changed my story. But it's those moments. And people have said to me, like, Dublin won all these Al-Irelands. Not at all, they didn't. Mayo proactively lost a few of them. Because they're ahead, they're there, and then the referee is there. And one of the Mayo players come in and bang, he hits John Small. John Small goes down, your man's taken off. Proactive, like not a real, but just in, and from there on, uh, Dublin took over, you know. But those are the moments, if you can control, I have a choice. And an example is like the subconscious won't process negatives. If I say to you, don't think of a white rabbit, it's there. Don't think of a polar bear in Alaska, it's there. Don't think of a little fluffy one with a Wexford jersey. You see that little fluffy one with a Wexford jersey. So the mother would say to a child, be careful, don't drop that. The child would say, uh, the child would drop it. And the mother would say, oh, I could see it coming. I knew it was going to happen. You don't listen to me. The problem is the child listened. 
Because don't bang that door, to a child means bang that door. So it's that moment of becoming awake and conscious and not just reacting, that we're not just that bunch of predictable reflexes being triggered into predictable outcomes by people in events and situations. Like when Genevieve, her daughter, was four, and I was putting eggs in the fridge, and she said, Daddy, I want to help put the eggs in the fridge. I said, no, Genevieve, they're very delicate, they're very fragile, I'll put them in myself. Daddy, please, please, please. I said, okay, well, be careful, just don't drop them. So on cue, she dropped the two of them. And I was about to react, and this is the first time, even though I'd heard all this academically from Viktor Frankl way back in the 70s, this is the first time that I was awake and aware and consciously, I was conscious choice making. And I was about to react and I stopped and I saw a little white space and I saw a green platform the size of a postage stamp. And somehow I got onto it. And I said, Genevieve, isn't that a very interesting design on the floor? Do you think she would take a photograph of that and show it to Mammy? And she looked up and she was so stunned that an adult didn't go berserk and react. She caught my knee and the little face goes, she says, Daddy, I love you. And that's the thing about the choices, that the consequences, the rewards of making a conscious choice are enormous. But that was the first time in my life that I became conscious, awake, and it's that conscious choice making. Now, what I'm doing is a huge thing. I'm asking people to do this in the heat of battle in a hurling game or a football match. I remember with the Dublin hurlers, you know, we, were, and we had one character who was little, kind of, he would react really fast, but against Kilkenny one day, you know, he got poked and he got slapped with both really, and the Kilkenny guy was sent off, but your man is down there, and Dalo, the famous Dalo ran in and said, X, he said, geez, you were great the way you didn't react there. And your man was in, he says, Jesus, Dalo, there was no way I was going to let them efforts get me off the green platform. <laughs> but it's he and Delo said to me, Gee, it's embedded, he says. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's incredible how all of this has come from because you you saw the suffering of the Philippines and you 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 know you like it's a very real lesson that you've learned and now you're bringing that to the rest of the world and that's the message that you're that you're championing. Yeah, Michael, it was, you see, growing up in a farm in County Cavan, we had horses, cattle, sheep and pigs and all of that. And it was a very mehel or like if a neighbour had cows calving or hay down, we'd work, give them a hand, picking potatoes, all of that. And if we had hay down or, you know, pigs that had to be dressed or whatever you call it in the nice words, they would come in and give us a hand. You know, it was, and then one day I did the leave and start at 16. And I remember reading an article in a club and mission magazine called The Far East about a missionary in Peru in, uh, outside of Lima in a rubbish dump called El Montan who had 40,000 people. And I simply said, Daddy would always say to us, come on, we go out and we give this man a hand. Give this man a hand was the phrase that he always used. We give him a hand. We'll give that man a hand. So I simply said, conditioned, I said, sure, if I go out and give that man a hand, he'll only have 20,000. So it was that simple. Join the Columbans, ordained 1969. 1969 was an incredible year. Bob Dylan was singing, the times there are changing. They were wearing flowers in their hair in San Francisco. We put a man on the moon in July, in 19, uh, in July 69. Down World Ireland champions. And in Cavan, we love that because we hammered them in the Ulster final in 69. Then 21st December, same day as Brian Darcy with the Pashas, I was ordained. And uh, 
far from getting out to the Islam, I was sent to Ottawa to do postgraduate studies, and that's where I, I learned, met Victor Franklin. I was assigned to teach in Boston then, but I wrote to the Superior General, which he didn't do at the time, it was pray and obey, you know, and I said, look, I've nine years of post-secondary school study, and my problem is that I think I know it all. But if you give me five years in the slum in the Philippines or Latin America, where the slum dwellers have been to the university of life and survive, and they teach me, I get this in my blood and my guts and my bones, then I'll teach anywhere. Instantly, I was sent to a slum in the Philippines for five years. It was a horrific place. I remember the last 90 days, about 65 children under two years old, all who died from hunger or hunger-related diseases. So we set up all kinds of projects, you know, we had food programs just to keep them from dying. We had Grameen banks, cooperatives, credit unions, pig programs, hen programs, fishing programs, and sewing programs. And at the end of it, Dennis Murphy, who was a Jesuit in Manila and in the slum in Tondo there, and he, I used to get his community organizers up to work with us. And um, he did a debrief with me at the end of the five years. And he typically Jesuit, he praised me to the heights for all the work I'd done and all the projects. And then he said the key question, and this is where the beginnings of the Green Platform came from. He said, after five years, are you a happier, more creative, more innovative, more joyful person than you were five years ago? Or are you more bitter and angry and resentful? I remember like shouting at and you know, I said, Dennis, you're a single thing I told you. I just told you about 65 children in the last 90 days who died from hunger in a world full of food. Of course, I'm more angry and bitter and resentful. What do you expect? Happy, clappy, all's well. I have news for you, Dennis. All is not well. All is far from well. And he waited for about a minute. And it looked like five minutes. And then he said very quietly, if you're coming back to this slum, bring the people joy or bring them nothing. Because the last thing they need is another serious, long-faced, miserable, cranky missionary priest working for justice and peace. He said, the end must be prefigured in the means. They, he said, you must live the utopia you're talking about. And he said, he said, you know, if I want a Mercedes Benz from you, you cannot give it to me because you haven't got it. If I want inner peace and joy from you, you cannot give it to me because you haven't got it. And he said, you're suffering from the toxic when then syndrome. I said, what do you mean the when then syndrome? Okay, when, I'm asking you a question, he says, when will there be enough food in Asia and in Africa and Latin America? When will there be enough justice? 10 years, 20 years, 30 years before you can decide to be happy? Are you going to postpone your inner peace and your inner joy until everyone has food and everyone has justice? You still don't get the Gandhi thing, do you? Be the change you want to see in the world. And he said, your projects, your projects are really the container. The contents are your inner peace and joy. And he said, that's when you know how to be present, you will know what you need to know. And he said, the purpose of life is to be happy. And it's that presence, that joy that you radiate, that's what's going to make the difference. And that's the deep difference. And that immediately brought me back to Victor Frankl, who said, every morning I made that choice to be happy. But that was unconditional. And of course, Mickey Singer, who wrote the books, you know, The Untethered Soul and, you know, the, the Surrender Experiment. But Mickey challenged this man, can you make a choice every morning to be unconditionally happy? And your man went for it and just do it every morning. You know, it's unconditionally happy. Most of us are conditionally happy. But he said the big breakthroughs. So he met him three weeks later and he said, well, oh, you know, are you happy? Oh, I'm not happy today, Mickey. 
Why, says Mickey? Why you made a promise, you made a choice. It's the single most important choice. Well, he says, yesterday my wife left me. Mickey says, that sounds very much like conditional to me. Maybe in three weeks' time you come back to me and I'm still not happy. Why? Because she came back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that is the difference. It's that, and that's what grown up in Dungiman. It was outside the term of the inside. Mm-hmm. It was conditional. Everything was conditional. Nobody taught us you can be unconditionally happy. You make the choice. That's it. And you bring that energy. You bring that. And it's like the questions. When something happens on the red platform, we ask poison, toxic, disempowering questions. Poison questions are why me? What else is going to go wrong? What did I do to deserve this? Why did this always have to happen to me? Because the frontal lobe here, once you ask your question, it'll do a scan through the rest of the brain. And the frontal lobe is 40% of the brain. And it'll go through that landscape of the brain to find out the answers it needs. So, like, what else is going to go wrong? It will do, 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 and so oh, there's a whole lot more things go wrong. It's a, so there, you'll always 100% certain you'll get a poison answer to a poison question. But if we flip to the green platform, we ask power questions, we'll get power answers. Power questions are, how can I, what can I, how can I turn this around and enjoy the process? How can I be the best version of myself so that those around me can flourish and shine and be the best they can be? How, what is the one thing that will make the biggest difference in our, in our lives? How can I be the change I want to see in the team or in the community? How can I get into the 20% of my activities that would deliver 80% of my results? How can I work out of my strengths today? And how can I influence, how can I make an even bigger impact on people and on the environment? How can I leave a better legacy? They're poisoning. But if you ask, like, like, what's wrong? What else is going to go wrong? You know, it's again, you're going to get the point. Because when you say, uh, why do these things always happen to me? What else? The answer you're going to get, you're in the passenger seat. Like an example would be no promotion. Uh, why does this always have to happen to me? Because you're useless, you're no good, whatever it is. Green platform. You ask a power question, like, how can I add more value here? A child not too well at school, poison question. Why can't the teachers do better? Green platform, how can I help him or her with the homework? The difference is they, the teachers, somebody else must change with red platform. Why don't you, why don't they? I'm in the passenger seat. On the green platform, I have all the power. How can I help him or her? People not be motivated. You know, what's wrong with them, you know? And how can I improve my coaching skills? You know, you just, you take that power. And if you look at Nelson Mandela, the power question, he was 10 years in jail. He was 27 years altogether in Robben Island. But he, he had that 10 years of anger and bitterness. And then he started, and the first power question he asked, frontal lobe, did ask the question, how can I get out of here? So that what the, his brain came up with then was power question, power answers, start writing letters. For three years, he wrote letters to the States, and then eventually he got, he got uh, responses back. Then the next question, power question, like, what will the new South Africa look like? And it'd be in South Africa, and then a whole lot of ideas came to him. 
Then next question, who will lead this? And once he asked that question, who will lead this new state? And the answer came back was, like, why not me? And then he asked the ultimate power question, what kind of a person will I have to become to lead this nation? And the answers came back to him because the, almost the landscape of your brain, the, the frontal lobe will do that search. You'll have to trade your bitterness for kindness. You'll have to trade your judgment for, um, for, um, for, for, for uh, contentment. You'll have to change your resentment for happiness. That's what you're going to have to change. That's the kind of person you're going to have to become to lead this. So he could go to, with poison questions. What else is going to go wrong? On the football field, somebody else, this is not her day. What else is going to go wrong? You'll see all the hostility. Like what could go wrong is going wrong. Everything, and the referees against us, everything. But how can I turn this around and enjoy the process? And it's that, you know, I had a famous player, hurler, eight or nine medals, and I was telling this one, and he said, I wish I'd known that when I was playing, because I remember a time he says we had, um, you know, we had a quarter an hour to go and we're being, the scoreboard were way down. But I kept saying, I wish to have the referee blow the fun. I wish to have you blow the whistle. He says, I had 15 minutes to explode in the game, to inspire everybody, and I wasted it because it was attached to the scoreboard. You know, so they'd be some of the ways, red platform, I believe I can't, green platform, I believe I can. And it's, um, when you take it in the ordinary, like um, there was a, a man, he's manager in a hotel in Killarney, and he does, on his days off, he used to do, like he mow lawns for older people and that sort of thing. But he had his old van, he's around, and this lady came in a seven, an old seven two Skoda, and she, hit the back of him. She got out and go round around about it. She was all upset about it and said, will you, do you, do you call the guards? Do you want to call the guards? Do you want to call it's my fault? And he said, no, no, hold on a second. He said, this is an old van. It is more dense than your mind. That'll only add to his character. And she says, you're not raging, she says. You're not raging. She says, no, she says, not at all. She says, your rage is 072. And I was born in 072. And uh, so he said, no, no, not all. And he, she said, um, I, I can't believe it. She says, how are you? I says, look, he says, Google the green platform. I live every day on the green platform. And my job is to bring joy to others. And if I bring a little bit of joy to you today, then I'm living on the green platform. Is there anything I can do for you? Yeah, next to me, I have mass, say a prayer for me, he says. You know? But practical, it's those practical things. It's um, little girl, Kiriona, uh, in... Um, in uh, in Vermont, and she's six years old, and um, she uh, she was like she used to be afraid to go out to, to move that. But I said inside you have a little green platform. You step on the green platform, fear disappears. It said fear is only underneath. It's a septic tank of sabotage underneath the red platform. But her grandmother sent me her home homeschool folder, the homework book, and written on it. From a six-year-old, Kerionis, it is my choice today to be positive, to be happy, to be kind. And I thought, here's a six-year-old. I didn't know until I was 22 I had a choice. And it is my choice today to be positive. And I imagine if that was in every school book in the world, 
if that was in every office in the world, if that was in every factory or plant in the world, that everyone came in and said, it is my choice today to be positive, to be happy, to be kind, the different world we'd have. You, it seems like you use awareness of the, or it seems like you use the reminder of life being a privilege and, the, and a blessing as a source of awareness. You know, like it, it has powered so much in your life when you think of um, the, the campaign with the medical card for Alexander and everything, you know. Um, tell us about that, the need for awareness and how we, should, how we can cultivate it. Yeah, well, it's, uh, there are three steps. The formula <clears throat> on the green platform is, number one is acceptance, you know. So something happens and you accept it. It is as it is. Now, again, we create a manufacturer most of our suffering through a rejection, non-acceptance of life as it is. So it's that acceptance. I cannot unease it. This moment took 13.8 billion years to get here. It is as it is. So that's the first step. Now, example of how we don't do that is in Chicago a number of years ago, I was flying down to, to Lexington and the plane was quarter five, delayed quarter six, quarter seven, quarter eight, quarter nine. And the quarter nine, this man got up and he was raging. The rope stood out in his neck with rage and he went up to the lady behind the desk and he thumped it and he smashed it and he, he, he started shouting and cursing and screaming at her. And then he came down to me where I was in my place of inner peace and joy. And, uh, you know, when you're really upset and angry and the way somebody is happy, the way they annoy you, you know? <laughs> so he says, what are you so happy about? I says, well, it is as it is. And of course, what do you mean it is, but it shouldn't be as it is because I have a very important meeting to go. It's not the first time it has happened. And it's going, I said, look, anytime you argue with reality, you will lose, but only 100% of the time. It is as it is. What are you talking about? He says, what, you, what do you mean? I said, if you cash at home. He says, what? I said, have you a cat at home? A cat? He says, I have a cat at home. What's a cat got to do with it? Well, I said, tomorrow morning, you spend three hours teaching your cat to bark. And after three hours, your cat's going to say, meow, because it is what it is. It's a cat. It's not. I said, the plane is banjaxed. It's a cat. I cannot change it into a dog. I said, it is, it is. Are you worse than she is in your tour with? Ten minutes later, he was carried out in a stretcher with some kind of a heart attack from the hormones of stress. Now, people still blame me and the cat for it. <laughs> but, but the thing is, that is resisting. Anytime you headbutt reality, you will lose. So it is as it is. But acceptance on its own can degenerate into indifference or apathy. Oh, it's except because one lady in Indiana in the state, she was saying to me, oh, she says, I used to hate that people say it is as it is because that was their excuse to do nothing. No, I said, that's only the first part of the formula. Second part is acceptance plus pan plus positive action now. Of the 100 things, what one positive thing can I do? And then what other next positive, next positive thing? And then once you do that, you get momentum and the whole universe will conspire with you. As the man who, that, that guy who wrote uh, a book on climbing Everest, not here, another guy from Scotland, but he said, he said, once you make the decision, then Providence moves to a whole lot of unexpected events, unforeseen events, like you've got base camps, everything will be donated. He hadn't anything at the time, but he said, everything is about making that decision and cutting off all possibility. And the third is the whole universe will conspire with you. It's like walking down a corridor. Until you go down, no door will open. But when you go down, all the doors open. If you stand still, if you don't ask, the answer will always be no. If you stay where you are, you'll never get to where you need to get. So it's that movement, first thing in movement. An example, like I remember being in 
in San Francisco three years ago and came back and we have a special needs child here called Alexander. He's 16 now. He has Moore Wilson syndrome. First child in Ireland to discover with Moore Wilson syndrome. It means that he never talks. He won't walk until he's 16. He's taking some steps now as a walker. He's doubly incontinent. He'll be in nappies for the rest of his life. He has scoliosis, so we have to wear a straight jacket every day. He has uh, <clears throat> multiple allergies, so we have to cream him every morning from top to bottom. He's on 33 medications a day. He's uh, <clears throat> has to, like, duvies have to be changed. And he's, we're slowly going to take some oral feed now, but it takes about an hour to feed him, and he might take about two or 300 grams. And he's tube fed. He hasn't eaten from he was one year old. He's tube fed through his stomach, so we have to mix up all his feeds and all the rest. Having said that, he's an amazing kid. But three years ago, the government and the HSE in a terribly cruel medical card called took away his medical card. So Annette sent me, my wife sent me a text say, to say that they've taken away Alexander's medical card. This is a disaster. And guys, you know me, I don't do disaster. Never did, never will. So I came home and um, I said, no, it's not a disaster. It's an opportunity to get all the medical cards back for all the terminal children. And she looked at me and said, so, okay, yeah, so you one person, you're going to get on the government the HSE and get all the medical cards back for all the terminal children. Is that what you're saying? I said, yes. And she said, uh, and how may I ask you, are you going to do that? She's getting even more polite as the conversation went on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said, I have a formula. Oh, you have a formula. What's the formula? Acceptance? plus pan, plus positive action now, and then the whole universe because it's Spirewitz and bang, all the metal cars are back. She says, where do you get this formula? In a great book called The Green Platform. And she went away shaking her head as much as say, God deliver me from Green Platform authors when it's a real problem. <laughs> so I said, okay, acceptance. It's got, card is gone. It is as it is. Plus positive action now. What one positive thing can I take? Of the 100 things, one positive thing can I take? So, I put up the story on Facebook, and it wasn't to go to Facebook at the time, and a picture of Alexander. Then I called Genevieve Vertor to take a look at it because she would have, at that stage, she had a PhD in Facebook. So she said, Dad, if you put up this as it is, only you and your four friends, if you have four friends, will see it. <laughs> when you press this globy thing, other people see it. Press the globy thing. That night, I could have called from a journalist. We had a two-piece spread in the newspaper the next day. We had... Um, you know, on Saturday, Larry Mastron, the producer of the Saturday Night Show, gives a call because I'd already been on promoting the Green Platform with Brendan O'Connor. So he gives 13 minutes of the man who played Nelson Mandela in that movie on the Saturday night. So Annette put in two new suitcases full of syringes that would only last him a week and all his materials. And then um, Monday, the Independent had a Tuesday, Michael Martin spent five minutes at all asking Eddie Kenny why he took away Alexander's medical card. The 6-1 news came out to the story in Alexandra. The European elections were on. The last leader to be interviewed at the time was Andy Kenny. First question, Brian Dobson asked him, talk to us about how you turned the economy around. Second question, what were you thinking of when you took Alexandra's medical card away? No second name, just Alexandra at this stage. At the end of 42 days, we had 16 news, 17 newspaper articles, 16 radio interviews and six television interviews. And all the terminal children got their medical cards back. And it's enshrined in law that they cannot be taken away now. Minister of Health had to resign, Minister of Education had to go, and the head of the Labour Party went. But the point is that it's the formula, acceptance plus pan plus positive action now, 
next right move, next positive move, next, and then the whole universe will conspire with you. We couldn't have orchestrated that. No PR campaign could have orchestrated it. When you move, that's how the whole universe moves. But you have to take the first steps. So that would be the, and you have a pandemic. It's acceptance. It is as it is. Now, rage against it is still out there, you know. Plus, positive, what positive action can you do? Okay, I can wear a mask, I can do this, I can do a social distancing. But I remember I was feeding Alexander one day and I was split because I had a load of emails I had to answer up here. And yet it was slow feeding because it was slow on feeding and trying to get them. And we had no nurses, no. Like the first hundred days of the pandemic, we no no, no help. We gave out 3,300 medications. We did 800 bottles of feed for them. We did 400 nappy changes. It was like relentless for like a 200 washing of his, his, special, of his scoliosis suit and all that. But I'm there and I'm spacing. I have a load of emails. I'm here feeding Alexander. And I was, and then I was listening to Mickey Singer's book, The Surrender Experiment. And um, there was one sentence that came out, and I call it now the great green platform question. And the question he asked was, he said, how do, the only question you have to ask yourself, he said, is how do I respond with a joyful, loving, compassionate service to whatever life is unfolding in front of me now? So he said, this moment is not here by chance. This moment took 13.8 billion years to get here. Will this moment be better because it encountered you or worse? You are in a unique place in a unique time. Your only question is, how do I respond with joyful, loving, compassionate service to whatever life is unfolding in front of me now? And I flipped out the red platform. How do I respond with resentful, angry, bitter, uh, like response to whatever life is unfolding in front of me now? That's the choice. And that's where the green platform comes in. And at that stage, okay, I said, Alexander, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to put all my heart, mind, soul to feed you. I'm, going to, I'm not going to be split. The emails will take care of themselves. And they did. And it's the same thing when it comes down to the, the practical things. That now, when you start, you see, the mind is an incredible thing. Because if I leave my hand down there, Michael, Mark, my hand stays down. But my mind is brilliant when I use it. 14 plus 14 equals 28. That's my mind working well. It's, um, I can take sand out of the desert and mix it with a bit of metal and create silicon and put a satellite on the moon. That's using my mind. But unlike my hand, when I leave down my mind, it has a mind of its own and it takes off. And it starts telling all these stories. And that's the ego. On the red platform, you have the ego. The ego is the false self. And the ego will work its socks off to keep you from your happiness now. It gets does that by getting into the past with shame or guilt or regret or into the future of fear and anxiety and worry. But like a shadow cannot live in sunshine, the ego cannot live in the now, in the present moment. Because in the present moment, you have no problem. But the mind, run by the ego, takes off and it starts can you just go in in the morning and have a shower and just have a shower? Like one man said to me last, I said, can you do that? And he said to me, 
like he says, well, I was in the shower the other morning and he says, I was finishing an argument I had with my wife 15 years ago. <laughs> I said, yeah, I said, that's what the mind does. Another lady, Mary, said, I was walking down the road the other day and I met this lady, Vivian, you know, and, um, you know, I said, hello, Vivian, and she ignored me. She and I, started, I said to myself, okay, that's it. She wouldn't talk, but that's the last time I'm going to talk to her. And I know what's happening. I'm becoming invisible. No one's seeing me anymore. And uh, that's what they said this had happened, and now it's happening. And it was the same in primary school. She went on and on and on. Um, met Vivian a week later that she had said that, asked her about meeting her, that, oh, she says, I have no memory of that because my husband had just died with cancer and I was coming home. And she said, but you see, the mind doesn't get, because the mind will only work in the past and it'll only pull it. So to become, uh, like Michael, you talk about awareness, to bring that awareness, this mind has never given me good advice. And the mind will work in the past. See, red platform, the familiar past becomes a predictable future. On the green platform, I create and imagine and make a, a, a new vision of the future. I create a new day. It's because I'm not going to overlay today with yesterday. That's what the red, red platform ego would want to do. No, you create. And our job here on this earth is to create and do new things. And like the creation, this thing that you guys are doing, it's starting your head, you create it, you make it, and then you get the momentum and things start moving. So that's the thing with the mind, that once you bring that, you talk about awareness, once you bring awareness, no, wait, that's just my mind talking. It has never given me good advice because all the mind can do is go to the past. It has no idea about what you can imagine creating the future. And I'll always say to you, like, because the mind is a two million year old device designed to help us to survive. And that's why it is, it is not helping us to create. It is not there to make us happy. It's there to make us survive. So it's always looking for the fear. What's going to go wrong? What's going? And that's why it gets high in the news. All the wrong stuff in the world. There's millions of right stuff. The news last Friday night, the evening news, for 352 million people in the EU went to work today, back at work, and approximately 92% of them had lovely barbecues in their back gardens yesterday evening because the weather was great. Is that the first item on the news? You can sing it, it's not the first item on the news. But if there's anyone stabbed or bleeding or bombed, that would be the first item on the news. So the mind, you know, we have to decide to be happy. The mind won't do it for us. The mind will always go into the past. And so you bring that awareness to it. Is this good advice? No. And you see, like young men, young women, like, you know, uh, uh, I love him, you know, uh, should I tell him, oh, no, don't tell him. Oh, no, if you do this, do it. it'll go off in a whole lot. It has nothing got to do with reality. You know, oh, he might like you at all then if you tell him, oh, no, shut up, say nothing, don't do it. And there's all this stuff that's going on. So you become aware of that and say, no. On the red platform, we have these energy vampires. It's not their bad breath or their body odor, but my God, they're whinging, they're whining, they're moaning, they're complaining, and they suck the energy from you like a vacuum cleaner. And you go around thinking you're having a bad day. No, you're not having a bad day. You just met me on the red platform. And I am toxic. And when you look at the research they've done now, in Harvard, they did a big study where people are positive in the present, in other words, on the green platform. Production went up across a whole range of companies, 31%, and sales went up 37%. Mm -hmm. Then another man, Paul Christner, did a study, and he did a study on 
happiness in the workforce, where your workforce are happy. Happy workforces were 22% more productive than unhappy workforces. So if a company has a turnover of 100 million, happy workforce is 122 million. And I remember with Mara, Sister Mara, a great woman up in Oma who runs the Tara Centre, herself and Sister Marian, one day Mara would be a, she's, Mara would be a, about, I'd say 87 now, but she's a real no-nonsense woman. And I said to her, um, Mara, I said, they spent millions of dollars in the States, did the study, because they found out that happiness is new productivity, you know? Mara says, what? I said, Mara, happiness is new productivity. They did this big study. Also, they did a big study, says Mara, uh, to find out that happiness is new productivity. Shame the dogs in the street know that, she said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So that's the, and apart from that, from the financial thing, once you're positive on the green platform, once you're happy in yourself, you emit all this dopamine, the good, the good, you know, this, this, it lowers the cholesterol, you know, and if you're upset or resentful or anxious, right, that your heart is out of coherence and your amygdala is flying away up here and your creative frontal lobe is shut down. In other words, if you're running away from the cougar to survive, it's not a good time to create and it's not a good time to meditate. So we have to get ourselves in this calm position where we can say, okay, any great leader changed history because their vision of the future was greater than the present reality and the past, external circumstances in the past. Otherwise, Martin Luther King, if he was focused on the external reality on the past, his speech to the quarter of a million people at that monument in Washington would have went like this. I have a complaint. I have hundreds of complaints. I have thousands of complaints. I have millions of complaints. Let me start with the Ku Klux Klan and the churches and the restrooms and the restaurants and the buses. No, that was not the speech he gave. The speech he gave was totally focused in the future and in a creator. I have a dream. I have a dream. And then he kept reinforced, I believe. And then he made it concrete, made it specific. I believe that I would see schoolyards where black children and white children would play together. I believe. We change our own personal history when we get up in the morning and our vision of the day is better than yesterday. Our vision of the day is something we're going to create. It's what we're going to imagine and create and rehearse in our minds beforehand and then let it unfold. And it's enfold effortlessly. It's an efficient and an effective, but in an effortless way, because you get into that flow, into the zone, into that groove. So that'd be my take. I remember with awareness, Michael, I asked him, he was a a great man. He had taught all the stars NLP and, you know, he had taught Deepak Chopra NLP and all that. But I said, look, you've met all these famous people. And I said to him 10 years ago, I said, what's the three most important things you've learned? And he said, well, number one, awareness. Number two, awareness. And I said, I suppose number three would be awareness too. He says, number three is awareness. So 10 years later, I met him and um, I just said, okay, 10 years ago, I asked him, what were the three most important things you learned? And he gave me three answers. And I said, I'm going to ask you now again in the light of then. Well, he says, Whatever I said to you, I have no memory of you asking me that question, he said. But whatever I said to you, no, he said, please disregard it. Ignore it. 
Because whatever I said to you, I know now for sure that was wrong. And I said, well, what is it now? What is the new three things? He said, number one, awareness. Number two, awareness. Number three, awareness. And Michael, is that that once I'm aware and awake and conscious, it means that the programs are not running me. I am running the program. And all these programs and conditioning we got in, like John Conway, a man of the North, he said a young fellow came into the art one morning and he was absolutely raging mad because trouble was visa card or something. And he said he turned around the yard and he spun the wheels and drove out. And John said, now you talk to me about awareness. I knew that the program was running that boy, he said. He wasn't running the program. The program was running me. He phoned me up two hours later. He said, John, you wouldn't believe what's after happened. I said, oh, geez, I would. You know, I'm after putting petrol into the diesel. And he said, and if there was a nail in the spear in mountains, he'd have found it for his tire that evening. Because he wasn't aware. He wasn't awake. It was the problem. The big question is, does life happen to me or do I happen to life? Mm. You're playing a game. Does the game happen to you or do you happen to a game? And I said to Jack O'Connor one day, you know, does a game happen to you? What do you mean? He says, Clara, I said, well, does Seamus Moynihan happen to a game or does a game happen to Seamus Moynihan? Said, but Jesus, Moynihan happens to every game, you know. <laughs> and it's, uh, and, and that's basically, the, but, but awareness is one thing to become aware. The other thing I would add to that is, Anthony DeMello spoke a lot about awareness, but once you become aware of the negativity and the green and red platform, the ego is still alive and well. So you fall down, you fall from grace, you make a mistake, you those, and you know you're wrong and you can almost see yourself in the middle of it and you couldn't stop. And then the ego goes and will bring the, but the ego will only bring you judgmental awareness. The, you have to choose compassionate awareness. Because awareness that's judgmental is still the ego's food, the fuel of the ego. Because the ego wants to judge you and always negatively. And the ego's great sentence is you're not enough. You're never enough. You'll be found out. You know, that, and that's the ego's favorite line. Whereas the truth is you are enough. It's like Oprah Winfrey one time, she tried when she was beginning to ape Barbara Walters and to present like Barbara Walters. And she wasn't getting on very well. And one day, she, the decision that changed her life was when she said, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be 100% who I am. I'm not going to be a fake somebody else. I'm going to be 100% who I am. And one of our so-called friends came to one day, you know your problem, Oprah? She says, you're just too full of yourself. And Oprah says, well, thank you so much for saying that because for so many years I struggled. I was only about a third full of myself and two thirds full of Barbara Walters. Mm. But thank God now I'm full of myself. He once says, I didn't mean it like that, mm. you know. But it's that thing about you are enough. Mm. You're not only enough, you're perfect. To be full of yourself then, to fill yourself up, put on your own oxygen mask first. And let the rest of us drink out of the overflow in the saucer, you know, to fill your own cup because an empty, an empty cup kind of give to people who need. So that'd be the awareness thing, Michael. Yeah. Um, it seems like that the green platform is, is such a powerful concept that, you know, it's a ripple effect. And, you know, if we all adopted it, we have a, we'd have a green platform country. Um, what I was going to ask was, um, 
Oh yeah, where have you seen the most impact? Or like, where where have you seen organisations that have flipped completely, or is it mainly in sports teams? Where where has uh, the green platform been most um, impactful? Well, I've seen it in a lot of uh, companies, organisations. Like, um, if you look at a company like Alltech, the Dr. Pierce Lyons was the CEO and president, and he died three years ago, unfortunately, with um, a, a bit of a, a, a problem with the, the lung that could have been avoided, I, I still think. But um, he went to Kentucky in 1977 with $10,000. And he built up a company doing organic additives for animal foods up to $3 billion and in 128 countries and 6,500 people. And he would have had, you know, the thing that Drucker and um, Buffett say that culture will eat strategy and plans for breakfast. So he would have proactively built a green platform culture. And the second book I wrote, Living the Green Platform, I asked him to do the foreword on it. And he wrote the foreword and he said that for us, it was, it was never about the, the money, it was never about the profits, but it was about making the most positive impact we could on the most number of people we could in the world. And he said at the end, the green platform has worked for us and it'll work for you too. And I have these like little, um, they're little green bands, you know, it's just a little, and it says the green platform, my choice, it's a little trigger to remind people during the day if they slip to get back on the green platform. But his son, Mark, is the CEO and president now of Alltech. And Mark was at a big conference of, in the feed industry leaders, all the top multi-billion dollar companies were there and they were asking questions in a panel of what the future was. And um, each company gave about, oh, getting the finance right, and this right, getting that right, all the others, you know. And But Mark said, the future has to be about the culture. And he held up and he showed them the green plan. And he said, we have a green platform culture, and that's one is it's a, it's positive, it's solution oriented, it's creative, it's innovative. That's what the green platform is all about. And he said, um, that's what will make the difference in the future. And he said to me afterwards, <clears throat> I didn't care if they found out the secret, he says, because it'll take them five years to implement it anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's that, that um, and there's a whole lot of other companies and they just say to me, like, what do you want me to do? I want to, um, and a lot of them just say it to me, like, you know, across North America and Asia, and you're like, you know, what do you want to do? Green Platform and Alexander. They all want to hear about Alexander, you know, and Green Platform and Alexander. And then I did this with a multi-billion dollar company in California, and the president said to me afterwards, he said, I just did it with their senior management. And he says, three months later, I met him and he said, our, the senior management are in kind of shock, he says, that they keep asking me, how can something so simple have such a profound cultural change in our company? He says, the concept is so simple, everyone gets it. In fact, in my, in my uh, office, he said, I have two mats, a green mat and a red mat. And people come in with a problem, I said, we have a problem. I said, step on the red mat. That's the red platform. Now, once you step there, all I say to you is, you're on the wrong mat, you're on the wrong platform. Come back to me when you have three creative solutions. Run them past me and you can stand on the green platform. And one guy was coming in last week and he says, oh, gee, sorry, I'm heading for the wrong platform. I'll be back, you know. Mm. But it's just very simple. Very, and 
you'd have in education, you'd have teachers. I do staff days and the principal said the teachers themselves came to me and said they put a green mat on the floor in the staff room and said, if the All Blacks say you ritualize to actualize. So every morning the green and the, each teacher stands for three seconds on the green mat and they make a commitment to bring the green platform into the school for this day. It's more important than history, geography, or algebra to bring that positive energy because that's what the, the children will pick and learning and laughter go together. And then another, down in Kilmere, there was another secondary school. And on the Saturday, the teachers came in themselves and they painted the door to the staff from green so that everyone who comes in is, and there's a great teacher down in Wexford. He's in St. Peter's, I think, but he brings in, a, he has a green lunchbox and he has as a reminder in the middle of the day. Another man, he says, I get up in the morning and he says, my head is invaded by a posse of negative thoughts. I go into the shower, I shower them all the way and I step out onto a green mat. That's my green platform. That's my commitment for the day. And I'm a green platformaholic, he says. Mm. I'm a green platform one day at a time. And he says, I don't know about tomorrow, but today I'm going to stay on it. Another man said, I have a green toothbrush. And at the end of the day, I said the three things I'm grateful for. And I brush my teeth with it, you know. But it's all these little triggers or anchors to help us. And all the great sports team have these little triggers or anchors. Mm. But that would be in the, in the corporate world, in the business world. And generally, I would use the, just the sports would be a kind of a laboratory to see, okay, sport is life condensed. In, the, in, in that raw cauldron of intensity, can you make your choices that are the best for the team? Very good. Declan, you've lived a, an amazing life. I bet you wouldn't change a single thing of it and keep uh, with the powerful message, the green platform. Um, it's a great book. I've, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm rereading it at the moment. Um, it's, you can get it online and um, all the proceeds go to uh, charities, which is just... Yeah, you've given the Jack out. and Jill and St. Catherine's Special Needs School. And so far it's made 40,000 profit and 20,000 has gone to the Pudge but the other 20,000 has gone to Jack and Jill and St. Catharines and uh, because they were so good to Alexander. And so it's life changing in more ways than one is life changing in the tools that are in it, but also in the help it gives to those kids. Mm, that's amazing. And so is this podcast. I think it's one of the most enjoyable ones I've ever done. So thanks very much for that. My privilege, uh, Michael and Mark, it's an absolute privilege. And Continued success in all you're doing. You are making a difference. And like the, I just wrap it up with this, the single most radical revolutionary act you can commit in today's world, especially in today's world, is to dare to be joyful people, to dare to give children the idea that some of us adults are actually enjoying ourselves, give up liking our bad days, to dare to be the joyful, magical people we were born to be. And at the end of each day, if you have two yeses to the two green platform questions, one is that you find joy in your life in the green platform today. The second one is that your life in the green platform today bring joy to others. Two yeses, and you're ready for the great green platform question then is, how do I respond with joyful, loving service to whatever life unfolds in front of me now? This moment took 13.8 billion years to get here. And that's the point that this podcast is at. Thank you so much, Lance. <laughs>